Welcome to the Injection Connection, in-depth discussions with thought leaders and professionals in the polyurethane infrastructure repair industry. Welcome to another installment of the Injection Connection. Uh, I'm your host, this time Charlie Lerman. Uh, normally, uh, Jim Spiegel has been uh, hosting these, but uh, he's allowed me to take the reins here, and I have brought on for my first guest, John Zabel, he's an independent uh, building materials professional at TPCCI, and uh, also someone I've known for a long time in the industry, so I'm honored to have you here with us today, John. Thank you. Uh, so let's uh, let's jump right into it, and um, well, let, let, let's just get this off the table. How long have you been in the industry, John? Uh, let's see, 1984, uh, 36 years. So, so th th there's a little bit of time under your belt uh, on that there. Um, how did you actually get into it? Um, I let a fellow rep talk me into it uh, when we were very inebriated one night in New Orleans. Excellent. A gentleman named Herb Horrell. He's kind of a legend in the rep business. Gotcha. <laughs> and in New Orleans, were, were you at some trade show there or? Uh, I think, uh, yeah, but, but I think we were there. They used to move the world of concrete around. And uh, I think the world of concrete was there that year. And I thought I was getting into machinery grout, to be honest with you. But then, then they sent me these bottles of clear liquid and I didn't know what the heck to do with them. You know, that, that is, I've known you for a long time and I, I didn't know that story. And, and that is just terrific because it leads into a lot of stuff where people just don't understand grouting and machinery grout is one of the things when you say grouting, people think of. So that's right. excellent to hear you started off that way. Yeah. Yep. That's, that, that was it. And in my first year in the business, uh, Denif actually had some pretty decent business here in, in the state of Texas. And I succeeded in taking it from about 200,000 a year down to about uh, 50,000 a year. Because I, I had no idea what to do with this stuff. And in those days, they offered no training at all. Right, right. No, it was a, a, a different animal back then, for sure. So, and your networking, I imagine, was totally different since you probably weren't using LinkedIn much back then or anything like that. <laughs> no. No, it was all in person, personal context. Wow. So, um, so I, I got a question for you there. Let, let's, let's talk about, you know, since we've talked about LinkedIn um, and, you know, how things have changed, what are some of the pitfalls uh, that you see for young engineers uh, when, when they specify chemical grouting? Well, well, that's an interesting subject because I've talked to a number of senior engineers about it. And I'll, I'll use one as an example, the gentleman that's the senior structural engineer for this region for a CDM Smith in Dallas. And he and I were bemoaning the fact that the, the younger engineers, especially, especially the millennial generation, uh, want to conduct all of their business via the internet and email and all of the other social media platforms. They don't want to meet anyone in person. They, they seem terrified if you ask them if, if, if you can stop. This is pre-pandemic. If you ask if you can stop by their office for a few minutes, it seems to just scare the hell out of them. 
And uh, he told me that in tutoring the young man, he tells them, he said, if you have a job and your job goes, goes south on the Friday after Thanksgiving, and you need somebody out there at the job site from the manufacturer that day, if you have never met the guy, he has no idea who you are, and you call him up and say, could you come out here? He's going to tell you, no, I'm, I'm with my family for Thanksgiving. I can come Monday. He said, but if he's somebody you know and you've been down in the hole with and maybe eat, had had lunch with or drank a beer with after work, he's very likely going to say, give me a couple hours and I'll be there. So I think the biggest pitfall is that they have no personal relationship with the uh, technical uh, representatives for the various products. Second pitfall is that when I have asked them to come see them about a job, they said, well, we'll get your information off your website. And in my case, Alchemy Speedtech has an excellent website, very informative. And I tell them, well, that's true. And it tells you all about the products, but it doesn't tell you which product is the best. And then they usually say, well, we'll send you some pictures and you can email us your recommendation. So I think that the lack of personal contact and the lack of actual uh, experience at the site with the products is probably the biggest shortfall of the young engineers today. I, I, I agree with you. And, and, and I think uh, they, they get in that, not necessarily uh, going at it the wrong way. It's just that they are inundated with so much information at their fingertips digitally that you assume that, you well, I've got it all. And, you, you know, just because I read a book or watch a video on, on, you know, how to hit a home run doesn't mean I can go out there and hit a home run from doing that. It, it takes the, the field and spending some time out there and, and doing those things. So, excellent. Well, Thank you for that. Not to meander around, but just for a concrete example, if a young engineer, let's say here in Texas, was working on an old building in downtown San Antonio, it's not old by New Englanders and, and standards, but it is by Texas standards. It very well may have a limestone, a limestone wall in the basement, or it could even have rubble in the basement. So he has leaks and he goes to the websites of the various manufacturers and he comes up with the, uh, with the solution of curtain grouting behind the limestone and he picks a product like the Alchemy Speedtech High Foamer. Man, that, that's the product for curtain grouting. And they go in there and the contractor doesn't know any better and they start drilling holes and pumping gall five gallon pails of High Foamer and all of a sudden they notice that that, that, that limestone block wall or rubble wall is starting to push out toward the inside. And now they've got not only an aesthetic problem, but they've got a safety problem. So that would be an extreme example of just going by the data on somebody's website with no practical experience. Exactly, you, you just, you don't know what you don't know. So you don't even know how to ask those questions about those kind of things that can bite you. So speaking of that, um, Let's see, I've got a question for you. Um, what, what's, 
what's probably, if you don't mind me asking, what's probably your biggest grouting failure and, and what did you learn from it? Oh, let's see. This is probably going to sound really, really arrogant and conceited, but I don't remember a really big grouting failure that I was, I was active in. Uh, I probably early in my career, I probably had one and I, I don't remember it. <laughs> I put it out of my mind. I don't, I don't think it was a catastrophic failure. I think the biggest, the biggest failure I have made into and through the years is when I get a call and my product is quote, not working that sometimes if I'm busy or preoccupied, I haven't insisted on coming to the job site to see what's going on myself. And probably therefore I have, uh, I, I've not given the contractor and the owner the best value that I could have because I, I just passed it by and said, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know why it's working. You're doing everything right, blah, blah, I've gone on. But um, I, I, I don't remember where I recommended the wrong product or something like that. So but I, I think it's just failure to get, give enough attention to each job is probably the biggest repeated failure that I've made. Gotcha. All right. And, and so talking about jobs, what are then some of the uh, most interesting or, or unique type applications have you seen for chemical grouting? Oh, I think, uh, gee, I think some of the most unique applications were, uh, gosh, I mean, all, all of them in, in their own way are, are unique. I think the, uh, I think some of the big uh, semiconductor jobs in Austin that we did with uh, injection tubes were, were, were really pretty interesting because they were challenging because of the enormity of the project and the size of some of the walls and everything, um, I think the I think the jobs that I think the jobs that I've worked on down in the water table in general were probably the most interesting because when you're working in the water table, it's pretty unforgiving. Uh, you either do it right or you do it wrong, and when water's squirting up six eight feet high all around you. Uh, that, that kind of gets your attention. Had a job in California, um, back in my, um, Denise days in, I think it was Redwood City, California. In California, land is so valuable that even for shopping centers, they, they build massive parking garages under the shopping centers. And we had a, um, we had a waterproof membrane failure in a parking garage, uh, under a shopping center. When we drilled our injection holes, the water squirted out eight to twelve feet. So now you're now you got a problem of how do you even get your grout to go in? So we had to do things that you normally don't do, like 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 set up relief valves and actually put faucets on them to control the rate of flow, so we could get water into the rest of the holes. Things like that. That that's something I remember a lot. I remember on uh, not the same job, but a job right next to it out there where a contractor actually putting a curtain under the bottom slab in a, in a six story parking garage, believe it or not, actually heaved a five foot thick slab in the bottom of a parking garage with an expansive chemical grout. 
Wow. That was kind of interesting because it was so improbable that he would be able to do it. I mean, I realized chemical grout, how expansive grout exerts three, 400 PSI. I, I understand that. But still, when you think five foot of reinforced concrete, but he did. Um, gee, what else was it was interesting? I, um, just, I mean, it's, they've all kind of been interesting. I, I kind of fell in love with chemical grout that first year I was in the business when I figured out what it was. And I'm, I'm just as excited today about working on a small job as I am working on a big one. You, you know, I, I share that. And one of the, the biggest compliments I get when, when I talk to people is when they say that they see that I'm passionate for it. It's because I, I do. I, I find grouting very uh, uh, mentally stimulating. It, it's, it's a game that you get to go out there and you know your pieces and you know how your grout works, but you, got, you can't see into that wall. So it's figuring out what's going on in there. And uh, sometimes it's not very intuitive, but uh, it's exciting. Actually, um, after all these years, right now I'm working on probably the most interesting or at least the most challenging job that I've ever had after all this time. It's on a dam, a huge dam, built in the 30s in central Texas on, on one of the Highland Lakes. And we have leaks through the joints that approach uh, five, 600 gallons an hour. Um, and it's these joints are 30 feet in the air on an arched dam. So all kinds of problems with access, uh, working conditions, et cetera, et cetera. So even after all these years, the, this one really has my attention. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, we'll, we'll hopefully uh, find out how that goes. Is that going to be this year? Or? Uh, well, we've been working on it for four, five years now because there's a lot of other work that's going on, shot creek and stuff yep. like that. So, but we're start, we're going to start, we're going to start grouting again in December. Gotcha. All right. And, and that is, you know, for our listeners, that, that is a good time of year uh, to grout dams because they're cold and uh, uh, retracted at that point. So you can get, get your grout in there and not have to worry about them expanding and, and tearing your, your grout. So, we try to convince the uh, Corps of Engineers and the Bureau of Rec, but uh, you know, some jobs, they just always like grouting right in the heat of the summer. So uh, you I never know that. Excellent point, Charlie. I've tried for most of the four or five years that we've been on this job, I have tried to convince the owner, the owner's engineers to grout in the winter. And almost all the grouting we have been done has been in July, August in Central Texas. One time I was up there, it was 112 degrees. And then they wonder why those joints open up again in February. Right. At least this time we have a shot at it. Yep. Most definitely. So, so talking about that, let's lead into um, what are some of the uh, uh, generic, the common mistakes you, you see over and over again? Well, the two biggest, <laughs> by far, there are two that are my pet peeves and they're my number one problems for all 36 years. Number one, the contractor does not know or does not determine the thickness of the structure that he's trying to drill into to, to seal leaks. He puts his injection holes too close to the crack or joint, 
and he drills at such a shallow angle that let's just say it's a 12, 12 inch thick wall and he's actually intersecting the crack two or three inches in. This leads into problem two. He starts pumping the grout and as soon as, the, as soon as he sees the milky white liquid at the surface, he stops pumping and goes to the next, the next injection hole, next injection packer. So he may have filled four or five inches at best of that 12 inches. All the rest of that crack is wide open. The water is still on the reinforcing steel, corroding it. It's finding uh, <clears throat> hairline cracks. It's wicking off into other areas. So those are number one and number two above everything. Number three, and this is mainly contractors make this mistake. A lot of old, old time contractors simply do not want to use any type of grout that requires an accelerator because they think it's like an epoxy and once they mix it up, they've only got a short period of time and it's gonna gel their pump. And I have talked until I'm blue in the face. So they use hydrophilics on everything. Now, if you're down in a sewer, I know you've got a lot of experience in sewers and manholes and stuff, you're okay, because it's wet all the time. But boy, you get up in the kind of thing that I've done mostly through the years here in Texas, where you got wet, dry cycling, you put the hydrophilic in there and it's almost assuredly gonna weep at some point in the future. So those are really the three biggest problems. The, uh, the first two are the biggest by far. Right. Yeah, no, and I, I started my grouting career down in Texas and, and big fan of the hydrophobics for exactly uh, those reasons there, John. So most definitely. Um, well, a, as a, uh, you know, a um, independent uh, building material uh, uh, rep, what other lines do you find typically uh, synergize real well with uh, uh, grouting? Well, I did well back, back when I was younger and full of energy and piss and vinegar. I, um, I did quite well by pairing the, the uh, chemical grout with uh, waterproof membranes. That, that seemed to go well. Some you know, major people, that, which I'm sure you, everybody knows, Deneef, Tremco, people like that. Um, I also, um, I, I don't really care for uh, crystalline waterproofing, but I did find that in certain cases, it did come in handy to have crystalline waterproofing to use with chemical grout kind of a uh, belt and suspenders approach. I think those are, those are the two things that went the, uh, went the best with uh, a chemical grout line. Excellent, all right. Um, so, and, and since you've, you've been in the industry, been, been with Deneef and all that, um, I, I wanna get your opinion on this. Um, what do you feel about, you know, because typically grout manufacturers are, are small companies or they have been uh, historically in, in the United States. What do you feel about this trend where we're seeing these large, uh, uh, you know, major corporations coming in and buying up like Deneef and Prime Resins? How, how do you think that's going to affect the industry? Well, I think it's a two-edged sword. Uh, the, the problem when, when, when it was just the small people, when I first started, you had Deneef, you had Avanti, 3M was still in the business. Um, 
we really didn't see a lot of other grouts. Occasionally we'd see Weeback coming from Germany. A um, couple of other guys that I, I can't think of right now, but every, but nobody really had any good technical data or technical support. What I mean is if you looked at a data sheet, if you put a Deneef data sheet and a Bonnie data sheet and a 3M data sheet side by side on comparable material, they all had different test methods. Some of them used rubber industry, ASTM rubber test methods. Some used ASTM plastic industry test methods, et cetera. So it was really hard for a customer, for an engineer or somebody to compare apples and oranges to see exactly what he was getting. The technical support was pretty weak and sparse in those days, um, but you did get more personal attention as a contractor. I think with the advent of the big companies, hopefully they will spend the time and the money to, to develop better technical information, better tools, um, better case histories, things like that to offer to the industry. But I see guys out there now who are giving technical support and sales support in the field who really don't know anything about chemical grouts. Uh, they have a degree. They're, they're nice looking young people. They have a, uh, a well, they don't have a catalog, they don't have a catalog in their hand anymore. They, they have an iPhone or, or, a, or a, a, some kind of cell phone. Uh, but they themselves, when you talk to them at society meetings and stuff, they don't really know anything about chemical grout. No, I, and I've seen that with some of the, the larger ones where, I mean, they're, they're known for great customer service, but they cover such vast lines that they don't have that intrinsic knowledge of grouting that, that, that you need on that level. So I agree with you on that. And one thing that they could never do, they could never do something you do and something that I used to do before I got old. They could never get down in a hole get down in a manhole or go underground and in their coveralls and actually show a contractor how to inject. They have, they don't even try. They don't even want to. Right. No, I, I had a proud moment and I am known uh, for wearing like severely uh, grouted clothes and stuff like that. <laughs> kind of, kind of yeah. people even make fun of it, but you know, I, I showed up at a, a job site and this was up in uh, um uh, the Portland, Oregon area, and it was for a manhole. And I showed up, and as I'm walking up, there's the two classic guys you, you're going to picture for going down in a manhole. They're standing there, and they're handing a dollar there to, to the other one. And I'm walking up, I'm like, well, hello. And I was like, well, what's going on here? Just handing out money? And he goes, no, I'd, I'd bet him that you're going to show up wearing a suit. So they thought as the manufacturer rep, I was going to come out there in a suit and try to tell them how to grout. And I was wearing, you know, my waders and everything ready to get down in there. So that, that, that is, I, I think, an important thing to the uh, uh, chemical grout urethane industry is having that kind of support. I always like it when they show up in a polo shirt, khaki pants and tassel loafers at a manhole job site. Right, right. <laughs> I, I did a demo where we would stop the, the water and coming into the manhole and then A.W. Cook was putting on a cementitious coating right. and their representative, uh, uh, Tom, uh, he, he was dressed exactly as you said. 
he then wearing that went down in the manhole got all dirty and he's like oh i just buy buy tons of these khakis and cheap shoes and go through them but yeah i was really surprised so um well let's see so that's uh that's really most of the questions i've, I've gone through here um is there anything that you want to kind of say to the industry? I know I'm putting you on the spot with that, John. Well, not really. I, 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 I obviously I, I love what I do, or I'd be, I'd be doing something else. I'd be, I'd be doing woodworking in my shop instead of, instead of chemical grouting. But I would just say, you know, don't, don't, don't be afraid to call the manufacturer and ask for help. I mean, it it's pretty dangerous to wing it on your own. Like I said, everybody's now has got good websites. All this stuff is up there, but you really need to at least talk to somebody who has some experience and they can probably keep you from making some potentially costly or even dangerous mistakes. That's words of wisdom right, right there. Speaking from someone, what would we say? 36 years in the yep. uh, grouting industry. So, so yes. John, thank you very much for, for your time. I, I greatly appreciate it. And uh, I'm going to thank you personally for uh, uh, bringing me into this industry. John often jokes that uh, he brought me into this industry and I still talk to him. So uh, <laughs> yeah. well, thank you, John. You bet.